Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Audible is presented by Trader Joe's. Discover more about Trader Joe's by listening to their podcast, Inside Trader Joe's, available wherever you get your podcasts. And also, with the Super Bowl coming up, be sure to get your salsa at Trader Joe's. They have the best salsa of any store I know. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And even though it is Super Bowl week and and a time that should be quiet in college football, it is anything but. There is so much college football news to talk about. Starting first and foremost, Bruce, with all the craziness at Auburn, is Brian Harsett. Last week on this podcast, we were both like, "Mm, yeah, I think he might be in trouble there. I don't know if he's going to get past his second season. And then within a few days, it became he might be fired any minute. Yeah, it sounds like I, I had spoke to somebody who made the same point. Well, I said, well, you think he gets through his second year? And this person, like, I'm not even sure if he's going to get to his second year. Um, as we're taping this, um, over the weekend, Andy Staples and I had done an extensive story, uh, kind of basically setting up what has been going on uh, kind of behind the scenes there and why things have escalated so much in terms of you had 20 transfers you had a bunch of assistant coaches leaving some in a really curious fashion right like so you had um derek mason defensive coordinator just basically leave and he was gonna he got to oklahoma state but he, from what i understand he was gonna leave whether he got oklahoma state or not uh and then you had the austin davis hire he was the new offensive coordinator he came from the seahawks he was not there very long before he left um it feels a little cryptic in how that played out that was or among the staff moves um i think it has gotten um significant here in that john hayes our producer his old mentor paul feinbaum apparently at some point maybe it wasn't on his show on the sec network but he had said earlier today that he does not think Brian Harshen is going to be the head coach there a week from now. And that is significant. This is not Paul talking about like a Jim Harbaugh or Paul talking about something in the big 12 or 
the Pac-12. This is him talking about one of the flagship programs in the SEC in this, you know, in a state he knows very well. And it's a big deal when Paul Feinbaum from the SEC network is saying that about Brian Harson and Auburn. Well, things escalated late last week when, like you said, I mean, what made everybody curious in the first place was these assistants who were leaving um, under unusual circumstances. But when it, it escalated, when you had recent players there go on social media and sound off about a little bit about him, that this, you know, the way we were treated last season wasn't, you know, we wasn't the way it was the first three years. You had other players going in and defend him. Uh, one night I was on a, a Twitter spaces with like 2000 Auburn fans um, and some of the players popped in and out of it. Um, it seems so. Let me read you this statement that Auburn put out on Monday morning. The Auburn administration is judiciously collecting information from a variety of perspectives, including our student athletes, and moving swiftly to understand any issues in accordance with university policies and procedures. Decisions regarding the future of Auburn and its athletics programs, as always, are made in the interests of our great university. And in fairness to all concerned, we do not make institutional decisions based on social media posts or media headlines. My read on it is they really want him gone and they are searching for some sort of smoking gun uh, that would allow them to fire him for cause and not have to pay another huge buyout right after having already paid a huge buyout to Gus Malzahn. And I don't know if that's there. There's certainly rumors and innuendo floating around the internet, but there isn't necessarily um, to this point, nobody has come out and accused him of some, uh, you know, completely nefarious thing that would make it easy to fire him. And I, I again, it's hard to think that they're going to um, just be able to move on from this, even if they don't have a smoking gun, even if there isn't cause because, uh, and Andy pointed this out, you know, recruiting has struggled so much under Harson. One of the things you hear about a little bit is he just doesn't really get what it takes to recruit in the sec and he is uh, um as one of the people we talked to is like i don't think he understands the deep south like that um down there and you know it when you have all this you know it's only gonna get harder to recruit after this i mean you can have players make very positive statements about it but in the face of so much other noise um and it's hard to think you can you this is going to happen going forward that he's going to be able to turn it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. right now you have, he's in the sec West. Obviously we know the landscape, Nick Saban's there. Jimbo Fisher just hot, just landed arguably the top ranked recruiting class in the last, you know, decade or so you have Ole Miss that's going that Lane Kiffin's got, I feel like has got a good amount of momentum. Brian Kelly is taking over. We'll see how that goes at LSU. Leach has done a pretty pretty good job in Mississippi State. And Arkansas, to me, is so much better than what it was just a couple of years ago. I mean, there's going to be somebody at the bottom of this. And it's hard not to think that they're not going to be in the bottom, too, unless there is significant change that happens. Yeah, but so the question is, and first of all, I just want to read real quick. Nick Brahms, their starting center, tweeted last night. Auburn Board of Trustees and President Goge, I'm inviting you to speak with the player leaders on our team. Your decisions will impact us and this program for years to come. We have valuable insight as we spend every day with Coach Harson and his staff. We love Auburn just like all of you do. So it's one of these things where 
you know, where is the movement coming to, to oust him? I got to think it's probably this being Auburn, uh, meddling boosters. Um, I don't know if the average fan is desperate to get rid of Brian Harson after one season, but like you said, it has gotten this far. You've got, nobody has come out and said, he's our coach. You know, you could have nipped this thing in the bud real quickly. He's our coach. That hasn't happened. It's instead we're investigating. We're taking our time. I don't see how he comes out of it. You know, still the coach, a coach with such little support. Um, but you just said, and, and I thought Andy's column was, was very astute and made a great point. Usually you can tell by that first full class, the second class, whether this guy can recruit or not. And the fact that Auburn was 18th, which is, you know, pretty far down in the SEC, um, it was not a good sign. But let's say they fire him. Who is going to come into this completely dysfunctional situation? What coach is going to come into this completely dysfunctional situation? I mean, if he gets fired, probably the AD will go with him. Um, who is going to compete with Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman, Mike Leach? Uh, I think there's two names that I think you would hear a bunch. One is the guy a lot of boosters wanted before, and this person is now the defense coordinator at Miami, and that's Kevin Steele, who has had a lot of support from some key people at Auburn. The other one is Hugh Freeze, and I know we've talked about Hugh Freeze a lot, and Hugh Freeze, no doubt, he left Ole Miss uh, in a very controversial fashion. Uh, he has baggage. He's gone to Liberty. He has made that program nationally relevant. He, by the way, took a quarterback who Auburn didn't think could play quarterback, and he helped turn him into a guy that the NFL likes and has a very good chance of being a first-round quarterback in Malik Willis. And Hugh Freeze knows how to win in the SEC. By the way, he's beaten Nick Saban probably more than anybody in that league, right? He's beaten him multiple times. Um and if you're talking about Brian Harson not being a fit in the SEC, Hugh Freeze knows the Deep South well, and I I think Hugh Freeze would win there. So the I question think is, you're right. And if you're Auburn, and I I don't know how you know, like I I get it. Hugh Freeze's name because of how he was fired and forced out at Old Miss has a stigma to it. But if you're Auburn, you're you're making all these. You know, like it's such a volatile situation to begin. And if it's all about, you know, it's all about just comes down to who do we think can win here? I don't think there's a coach out there that's really available to them that gives them the chance that Hugh Freeze would. If you think back to the coaching carousel, not not the one we're in, but the one last year when Liberty was coming off a top 25 season and all the buzz around Malik Willis, I would have thought for sure Hugh Freeze would have gotten either the South Carolina job that went to Shane Beamer or the Tennessee job that went to Josh Heupel or um, the art oh, look or the, or Auburn, the Auburn job uh, last time. Yeah. Although that was, yeah, that wasn't that cycle. So yeah, the year that all those sec jobs came open, I just thought it was inevitable. Somebody was going to hire him. So at, at least at that point, I think people were still scared off by the baggage. Auburn's not really in a choice to be picky if they end up having to make a February coaching hire. So yeah, you're right. Maybe that's the guy. And if it is, I mean, first of all, that the SEC West coaching roster at that point will just be an absolute murderer's row. Um, if I, I was th- a, if I was an SEC coach in the SEC West, I don't want Hugh Freeze coming back. 
Like not because I don't, res- you know, not because I like I think he's beneath me or anything, but like Hugh Freeze at Auburn would be a problem for them. Well, I mean, he would be going up head to head with Saban, who he beat twice and who Saban respected so much that he tried to hire as his OC. And at that time, um, I believe Greg Sankey may have, may have had a word about that. Um, I think that if they don't get this hire, if they fire him and don't get the hire right, Auburn could be that seventh place team very easily and, and possibly for some time. When you think about back when they won the national title in 2010 and when Gus took them back in 2013, Saban was there. You were definitely dealing with him. But Texas A&M, Texas A&M wasn't even in the conference the first time. They certainly weren't a fact. They weren't uh, this new up-and-comer that's recruiting the, number, the, the highest-rated class in, in the history of 24-7. Uh, certainly didn't have Brian Kelly at LSU um, or Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Like That's the, just so much more competitive. And it's hard because Auburn isn't, you know, the, the only school in their state like LSU is. Um, I, I They got to get it right. And if it's Hugh Freeze, yeah, I think they'll get it right. Will he get them on probation? I don't know. But uh, Kevin Steele, nice guy. I don't I don't have anything against him. I'm not sure that's the, the winning formula. Also, it's who's running this thing? Yeah, that's a good point. I do not think that the AD who, who hired Brian Harson against, you know, without the blessing of some of the big money people, Alan Green's the AD there. He hasn't been there that long. He's not going to be, from my understanding, if there's a coaching change, don't expect Alan Green to be the one making the, making the hire. Alan Green, by all accounts, is not expected to be the AD there much longer. Um, so. Which is kind of crazy because they have the number one basketball team in the country and he just locked down Bruce Pearl. Like that was a big deal. But football drives the bus, obviously. Hang on one second. Was he the one who actually hired Bruce Pearl, though? No, he didn't hire Bruce Pearl. Yeah. He, he wasn't there back then. But they just did a big deal for him because they know that people might be coming after him um, this coming coaching carousel in basketball. Uh, well, I, I'm of I'm I inclined to. I don't know if it'll be within a week, but I'm inclined to agree with Paul Feinbaum that he's not going to be the coach of the Auburn Tigers this fall. Um, and we'll see how it all plays out. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's a coach who I think we both thought might be fired by now, who in fact seems to be dug in, and that's Herm Edwards. And last week, two more of his assistants uh, resigned due to the NCAA scandal. Antonio Pierce, who is the face was the face of their recruiting and the DC resigned. Um, 
But by all accounts, Ray Anderson, the AD, Herm's former agent, is still sticking with Herm amidst this investigation. And Michael Crow, the president, who would be the only one who could override that at this point, for all from all indications, we haven't heard from him directly, is also standing is standing by both of them. Yeah. And look, as long as the as long as Michael Crow is on board, I'm not sure how much that changes, you know, from everything. I, I my understanding is that ASU is going to battle through it. And, you know, we mentioned Bruce Pearl a minute ago. I mean, Auburn stayed by him. Is Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson going to be the way they, you know, hey, we're going to take our lumps with it. We'll make our case to the NCA on, okay, this is what we did. This is why we did it. You know, what, what is the punishment going to come from it? And we're going to come out the other side with Ray and Herm still leading them. I don't know. I mean, well, they're that's using, what it sounds like. They're probably, to your point, following the college basketball template. I mean, you, some of these college basketball coaches who got swept up in the uh, FBI thing from a few years ago, like Kansas got, got hit with, you know, the, the um, notice of allegations against Kansas basketball would have gotten pretty much any other coach fired and Bill Self is still standing. Will Wade was caught on a wiretap, the LSU coach, um, you know, bragging about making a great deal for a kid. He's still the coach. Like there's, I think the, the old way of doing this was you throw that you fire the head coach and beg for mercy from the NCA. The new way is you just fight them and and say, you know what, what are you really going to do to us? And so that's what they might be doing. The, this, the bizarre part about that to me is, what has Herm Edwards actually done there that you, you, you know, they're going to bat for him. Like he's Pete Carroll at USC. He's seven and six, eight and five, two and two, eight and five. This past year was their best season in the PAC 12. They went six and three in the PAC 12 tied for second in the South um, went to the Vegas bowl, lost to Wisconsin. And, the, and because of the scandal, then the, in the way they're operating their recruiting class, this past cycle, the one that just wrapped up was the worst in the PAC 12 and the worst in the history of that program. And yet they're going to fight the NCAA tooth and nail for him. Yeah. Do you remember like two years after Herm got there, you and I both kind of were like, man, we, we were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that's like, changed in the last two years. Yeah. It's kind of, it's been different, but it's like, I mean, they've been a little better on the field than I thought, but it's been as seemingly dysfunctional and off the rails as, it kind of felt like early on that it was going to be. And remember the the bravado about we're redefining the, the, the head coach model. This is a, we're so innovative here at ASU and this is going to be the new leadership model. Well, four years in the new leadership model has gone 25 and 18 and resulted in half the staff getting fired in a NCAA recruiting scandal. So and it's also, and that's it's where also we are. happened at the time when USC has been its lowest in probably forever because they were awful this year and they've been had a lame duck coach for three years. UCLA had three, three bad years up till this year. Uh, Arizona just imploded under Kevin Sumlin and just went one and 11. They're arch rival. Now I think they're they're And now they're the ones with momentum. Yeah. They they just signed a top 25 class. And all, and also in the division, like Colorado had one year, but Colorado has been really down. So it's like, this would have been the time to, really exert and obviously utah has done that but um so i you know we'll see i i would have thought at by now that they would have said hey we gotta we can't keep this up but 
the AD and the president seem to be going, going in a different direction than that. And I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side with, you know, Brian, you know, Brian Billick had a role. I, my understanding is it in picking Glenn Thomas from UNLV to be the OC there um, after Zach Hill uh, ended up resigning in the wake of their investigation. That's the other assistant. That's the offensive coordinator. I mean, that's a lot for a program to kind of manage to have so much, so much transition in the middle of it from coming out of a recruit, an alleged recruiting scandal. In 2020, Arizona State signed the number 24 class in the country. Really good. Then COVID shut things down. And that's when these allegations uh, uh, happened. Like that was the year that there, that the, that this dossier arrived and said that they were, you know, during this long extended dead period where you weren't supposed to be bringing kids on campus, that they were bringing kids on campus and they were doing these visits and, and such and such. That year, that, all that cheating resulted in the number 52 class. And then the one they just signed, and this is staggering. We're talking about a power five program, 106th in the country. I mean, I think the longer they dig in on Herm, like if, leave, if you start it over, and who knows what sanctions are coming, but you know, Tennessee's got sanctions coming at some point, but they got hypo in place. He's building his program. There's some momentum. I think the longer they stick with Herm, the worse this is going to get. And they'll probably, they may end up, becoming what, what Arizona became that Jed Fish is now trying to, to, you know, resurrect. Yeah, I, you might be right. Um, it feels like it's headed even into a slipperier slope that they're going down. So since the last, this is what a, what a newsy February in college football. When we last came to you a week ago, we were under the impression that we knew that Jim Harbaugh was going to be interviewing with the Vikings on signing day. And all indications were that there was a formality, that there people there, you've been reporting for weeks, strongly uh, believed he was going to take an NFL job, and this was the one. And after a very strange, long Wednesday, we find out that they met for nine hours, and the end result was that the Vikings decided to hire somebody else. So Jim Harbaugh comes, comes back to Michigan. Uh, okay, guys, no, I, forget that. I'm, I'm staying. Uh, I'm enthusiasm unknown to mankind and all that. And then a few days after that, you report that Josh Gaddis is OC for the last three seasons. The Broyles award winner this year is now heading to Miami to be Mario Cristobal's AD, <laughs> Mario Cristobal's OC. Um, and remember his DC, Mike McDonald got the hired back to the Ravens. So uh, after this fantastic season they had last year, Harbaugh comes back on kind of awkward terms where everybody knows he had, one, one, and I say call it one and a half feet out the door. Um, and he's going to start over. He's got to hire two new coordinators. Instability unknown to mankind at this point. Ouch. Um, yeah. Look, um, when he came back, I think there was, there was some awkwardness, not just on his part, but even for the staff that had been in limbo, from my understanding, um, you had a staff that really was not locked up um, in January when all this was going on, coming off winning a Big Ten championship and going to the playoff. So, you know, the, I, I, and I don't know if this was Ward Manuel, the AD's reasoning, but you had a bunch of assistants who were sitting there wondering, hey, what is going to happen? Jim's probably going to leave. Um, we expect Jim to leave, especially when he's going to Minnesota for, for that. And I think the, 
the rationale or it felt like the rationale was if they do lock in the assistance and they have a coaching change where you need to find a new head coach, is it going to be really hard to get a new head coach to take this job knowing he can't hire almost anybody because all these other assistants that were Harbaugh guys who he may not be bringing to the NFL are going to have contracts. And so they kind of got caught in this like weird middle ground where Jim comes back and let's, let's resume. And some of the other guys are like, this is kind of awkward. And in the case of the Josh Gaddis situation, my understanding is at some point um, back in mid December or so uh, somebody from Miami uh, from UM had, had just, you know, tried to reach out to Josh Gaddis to see if he had interest. And he was busy with the playoff. And I don't think they expected that to be a, a, a possibility. And then when they circle back to Josh Gaddis last week, I think he was interested. And I think this, this deal might've happened a day sooner, but I believe Josh Gaddis was snowed in, in Michigan and could not fly down to Miami to check things out. Uh, um, and at that, that must've made him, and that must've made him even more um, appreciative when he got down there and, and stepped foot in Miami weather. I didn't realize that uh, until this happened, until he left that, you know, Josh Gaddis last season made $900,000, which is a lot of money in the real world. But for, uh, uh, and I know that at the time that deal was made, we didn't know he would become the Burials Award winner. But for a respected OC at one of the more prestigious programs in the country, um, seems a little under market. Uh, Mike McDonald last season was making a million dollars. Um Michael Dahl, by the way, who had, ne- had never been a coordinator before. So, and again, sure. I'm not saying he did a good job, but, but there Michigan got quite a coaches. bargain out of their, uh, you know, they they had this big 10 championship season, this playoff run. And as you remember, Harbaugh got a, had to take a 50% pay cut and the assistants are making relatively speaking, modest salary. So I'm wondering how much that may have contributed to the decision to leave. Now that well, Miami's ex- a big spender. I would expect Josh Gaddis to not double his salary, but make in the one five range, which you go from under a million to, to around one and a half and even one and a half, there's still going to be plenty of coordinators who make more than that. But the idea that Miami is outspending big schools for people who, like you said, this guy just won the Broyles award that goes to the nation's top assistant. Like that's, that's a significant, um, that's a significant move for them. Um, now he still has a few other uh, assistants to fill out, but I think just from knowing the Miami fan base, there was a lot of angst about it's taken a while for him to fill out his staff. And I think, you know, it's been about, feels like it's about two months. And I think people were getting frustrated and going, who is it going to be? And what does he have? And then once they saw who he's gotten, I think there's a lot of fired up uh, folks down in South Florida. So what do we think happens from here with Harbaugh? Because Ward Manuel, you know, a year after Harbaugh agreed, you know, he's, this is the second straight year he's in an awkward contract negotiation situation. Last year it was, Hey, a lot of people think this guy should be on the hot seat. We're keeping him, but we've convinced him to take it a reduced salary and incentive heavy contract. Um, now after the breakthrough season, if there's an expectation that you're going to give him a, a big bump and a, and a big new contract. But in the meantime, he went and tried to get another job and failed. And 
doesn't necessarily have leverage going to this contract negotiation because I think what we found out this year is that the NFL interest in him is not as high as we may have thought. And I don't think he's leaving Michigan for another college job. If you're a ward manual, do you still offer that big, huge uh, Mel Tucker type contract to him? I think you have, you have to, I mean, look, you know, Mel Tucker's done a really good job in a short amount of time at Michigan state. Jim Harbaugh just led Michigan to its best season in 23 years, I think, mm-hmm. or 22 years. Mel Tucker might not have been a great example because that is such a bizarre, you know, I feel like that's an outlier situation, but there would be an expectation that he be paid Ryan Day money, right? That, that, yeah, that's I mean, look, fair. honestly, he's done something that, you know, like very few guys have done. He got Michigan to the playoff, right? And they whipped their arch rival. They were finished number three in the country. I mean... You know, given what Jim Harbaugh has done, and I know we're going to have this conversation probably in a few weeks with our, you know, top 25 coaches rankings. I mean, you could make a strong case based on what Jim Harbaugh has done that he is a top 10 college coach. Well, then you're going to have to pay top 10 money, which I would think would be probably in the range of eight to nine million a year. Yeah. I mean, look, he was making eight before. I could see him in the seven to eight range again. Um, You're right. He was making eight in 2020 before the the pay cut so i would assume that i assume that's your starting point then and it's got to be that or north of that i mean look michigan or texas or i'm sorry lsu according to our friend brett mcmurphy was looking to pay uh jimbo fisher one year like well over 15 million dollars a year i mean jimbo fisher's won a national title we're talking about 15 million dollars a year that is an insane amount of money for somebody who's not for anybody but for 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 somebody who's not nick saban that is that is a staggering sum so i think just to wrap you know like when you're saying eight million dollars a year it is a bleep ton of money but this is where some of the top programs are paying for college coaches right now quick off the top of your head when was jim harbaugh's last bowl victory in michigan uh, he beat, did he beat Florida or did he beat, he beat somebody in the sec, right? He did. And he cropped and he clobbered them actually 41 to seven. But do you know when that was probably 2018, 2015, his first 2015. Season. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, overall winning percentage he's is 60, really good. Is, yeah, yeah. I know this cause I, he's 61 and 24. I mean, yeah. and he's 42 also, and 17 in the big 10. Yeah. So I like, think he'll get the big contract. And, and by if the he way, comes back- so in context, I don't remember what did PJ Fleck get in Minnesota? Uh, I want to say PJ is like, he, I think he's north of six, right? 5.1 million. 5.1. PJ Fleck, I think Jeff did- Brom is a little bit over that. And we're talking no, I mean, about Harbaugh's, guys, Harbaugh's he's 42 and 17 in the big 10 and he's 40. And by the way, he's in the division with Ohio state. No Harbaugh's comps, if you will, like in real estate are going to be Ryan day, James Franklin and, uh, and Mel Tucker, all of whom now make eight between eight and 9.5 million. Yeah. Anyway, all I'm saying, what I'm saying is, you know, you're going to do all that for a guy who tried to leave. And if he comes out this fall and they're really good again, everybody's going to forget about the Vikings flirtation. That's going to be old news. I think where it would get awkward is if they come out and they go nine and four next year and you, and people are like, Whew, we're paying all this money to this guy. And like, maybe that 2021 was an aberration. 
we're not paying the money. You say we're like we're paying all this. Uh, not so much that you're paying the money as I assume. No, but I'm gonna... saying it's like it's yeah. like the people who are saying that are not the people who are we're paying out of pocket for. The, the money is not the issue. It's I assume he's going to get some sort of huge ten year contract, no buyout. You know, something where like okay, he's your coach. You know, love him or hate him, he's going to be your coach for a long time. Cool. And yeah, I I think the the spin forward here more is. You know, he he spoke to Mitch Album uh, over the weekend, and it was you know like this is done. I'm not going to be this is you're never going to have to have this conversation again. And whether you want to believe that or not, and by the way, credit to Jim Harbaugh, he actually sounded like he was fairly transparent with recruits about this, which coaches seldom seem to be um, about the flirtation and and going doing the dance with the mm-hmm. NFL. But he is 58. He is coming off his best season at Michigan since he's been there. He did not get an NFL head coaching job. And a couple of the ones that were open were the Bears, where he had played and, you know, knows the family in charge. The Raiders, where he first started his coaching career and knows Mark Davis, the owner, very well. And then the Vikings, where he knows the new GM and had worked with him before. He's coming off as, you know, and he's 58. He's not going to get any younger. I'm not saying it's 60 or 61 or 62. Jim Harbaugh, you know, he's still a very, he doesn't seem like he's 58. But like, I find it hard to believe that there's going to be any more favorable circumstances to lure him out for an NFL head coaching job, just because who is going to be more like, you know, by the way, the Dolphins were open and that owner who said, I, you know, I'm not going to hire him, but I don't know what the situation would be where it's like, okay, you're not going to have to interview for this job or whatever. You know, like, is, he, is it, you know, unless short of him winning a national title, I don't know the situation that he would he would just kind of fly away for. I think we can move on from coaching news, although a quick quick uh, congrats are in order as we are taping this. Uh, Lovey Smith, whose tenure as an Illinois coach did not go so well, uh, but went back to the NFL and is now the head coach of the Houston Texans. I would say Santa Claus is coming to town, except he's already there. He was there D.C. last year. So um, congrats to Lovey. Stu, before we move on to the mailbag, last week on The Athletic, you had your latest updated top 25 for next season in 2022. Uh, for people who are looking for the link, it is in our show notes. I don't want to go through uh, you know, the top people. I don't think there's significant change there. There was one that kind of was a head scratcher to me, and I didn't realize it. Apparently, a lot of uh, the, the audience also was kind of perplexed. No love for Oklahoma. Nowhere in the top 25. Was that an oversight? No, it was not an oversight. Um, so first of all, I didn't used to do, I used to do the one right after the national title game. And then I didn't do another one until spring practice or after spring practice. But the portal has had such an effect on rosters that I had to update it. Um, Oklahoma, from, from the time I did the research for the one in January. Okay, first of all, major, major coaching change there. But um, it's one of those situations where everybody's gone. Not everybody everybody is gone, by the way. Almost everybody that played a significant role for this team last season either turned pro, graduated, or in the case of Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, entered the portal. So when I did the top 20 for the first time, I was like, I don't know if I believe that that I'm going to keep them and include them because they're Oklahoma uh, and there must be talent there but I don't have a lot to to sell on here. And then basically what happened was with the portal, Ole Miss, uh, who I I think I had like the first one out in, uh, in January, 
you know, they got Jackson Dart. They got a bunch of good transfers. I moved them in USC, same thing, moved them in. And that I think was the, how I turned into public enemy in Oklahoma was not just an Oklahoma, not being in there, but USC being in there because I have in the last, since Friday, I have learned a little bit about the psyche of Oklahoma fans right now. And, um, I get it. They were jilted. They were jilted by Lincoln Riley and he is dead to them. And uh, they have talked. Apparently, so are you. Apparently, so are you. Well, what's interesting is they've talked. I mean, this is not surprising, but they basically talked themselves into, you know what? He he was on the downhill. It was going downhill with him anyway. You know, they'd gotten worse the last couple of years. Um, And so, meanwhile, we're bringing in the best defensive coordinator in college football. So, you know what? Stuart Mandel, you're an idiot. We're actually going to be better next year because Brent Venables is going to make us a tough physical team unlike that you know idiot in la and i uh here's why i was a little surprised so yes they lost caleb williams they lost they gained a really really good quarterback who by the way knows this system that they're going to run really well dylan gabriel put up huge numbers at ucf and you know you can talk about like all they lost the best receiver they had in the program by far marvin mims still there he was by far their leading receiver um, so it's not like they don't have weapons. Eric Gray, who I know they really like, is a really good all-around running back. He's still there. They do have a bunch of other transfers they got from other places. I think they're um, you know, they have a couple of really good players back in defense. Woody Washington's still there. I think he's probably their most talented uh corner. Like they have really good pieces. And then here's where I would also make the argument, and I'll be lying, but like I went to this. Today, when I was like, I'm going to argue for OU here. This is their schedule, right? Oh, so, just to be clear, I didn't make any predictions. I didn't look at any schedules. Well, maybe you should have because just how it, the team. I'm not. It's too early for that. This is just how the teams stack up on paper. In this, in this, I point know. But year. if this team, if this team goes at worst nine and three, they're, they're going to be, be a top. Tw- they're going to be a top twenty-five team. But when I read this schedule off to you, you tell me where you see the losses piling up. UTEP. It's home. Kent State, it's home. Then they go to Nebraska. Are you ready to go jump in on the Scott Frost? He's due bandwagon. I'll, I'll uh, get back to you. I, I pass. Okay. Then they get K State at home. They got to go to. I TCU. think K State could be K State could be sneaky good this year. I actually K State is going. K State I had in the bottom of the top twenty five in January. Just remember, they're really good quarterback. He's gone. You know, Skylar Thompson's moving on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Timeout. But who did they bring in, Bruce? Your favorite quarterback in the I whole know, country. I know. You've been singing his praises for four years. You should I be have. you should be saying that the, he's going to lead Kansas State to the Big 12 title. I know. I do like Adrian. Um, yeah, and then I got a back-to-back because then, like, I feel like Max Duggan is somebody I've, like, always, you know, part of it is, like, I think we've talked about this little phenomenon when you've seen somebody in person like play a great game or seeing somebody in person play a terrible game, it carries on added weight. I think I did a couple of TC, you know, been around Max Duggan enough. That game is on the road. Then Texas, then they have Kansas. They got to go to Iowa state. That will not be an easy road game for them. They get, they get Baylor at home. They get Oklahoma state at home. I, I don't know. I'm looking at that team and I'm like, I don't know how they're not going to be ranked. Well, as you were reading through that, think about how many teams you mentioned in the big 12. Like I only have Baylor and Oklahoma State from the Big Twelve. That's probably not. And they're the both. And they're both, by the way, going to be, uh, you know, in Norman. Yeah, so. I I think the Big Twelve is about as 
a blank slate as you can get because you have so much turnover in the coaching ranks. You have new coach. You have no Gary Patterson at TCU. You have Sonny Dykes now. You have a complete newcomer uh, at Texas Tech. And then Texas in year two under Sark. Who yeah, the heck let's, knows? Let's talk, who the uh, heck knows what, what you're going to get from them? These teams uh, to me, there's, I would say that more so than any other power conference, you have more teams that could finish anywhere from four and eight to 10 and two. Who was the school that you wanted to put in your top 25 and just looked at it like, eh, I can't do this? Um, BYU. I, I really, uh, based on who they have coming back and based on the fact that they have been a top 25 team in the past couple of years, you know, you could make a strong argument to include them. Um, I ran out of room. Okay. I think what you're, I mean, you haven't brought this up, but we talked about it offline. You, you know, LSU really well. You were surprised that I brought them into it. I didn't have them in it last time. I didn't even consider putting them in it last time, but Brian Kelly has such a, got so many impactful transfers guys. I mean, uh, Jarek Bernard at Oklahoma state was a four-year starter. First team, all big 12, two starting DBs from Arkansas, um, I don't know if those Wingo was SEC all freshman. Uh, all freshman. I don't know if the two the two DBs they got from Arkansas are going to be more talented than the DBs who left, including the one who went to Arkansas. I'm uh, saying that they had a lot of holes. Uh, certainly, if you watch their bowl game, a lot of holes. Um, and Brian Kelly, to his credit, has gone out and plugged a lot of them. So I thought they deserved to be in it. Not not very high up in it. Obviously, I have them at 25. You know, you probably would have Oklahoma instead of them, and you probably have. I'm, I'm guessing. Well, here are my five. Just miss. You tell them. Tell me if they should all be in there instead of LSU, BYU. I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly what they have coming back. So I won't well, they lost them. their great running back, um, but yeah. like they have something like 18 returning starters. Iowa, uh, who obviously was a, a number two team in the country at one point this year. Yeah. Oklahoma, Kansas State, and South Carolina. Um, I know on South Carolina, sorry, Spencer Rattler. Yes. On Oklahoma. Yes. On Iowa. Um, I just don't think, you know, you, you can mention like where they have, they have some, you know, solid players who played a lot. I don't think there'll be anybody. And it's unfair to say this because he's a quarterback, but they will have anybody as impactful and newcomer as Dylan Gabriel is going to be. Okay. So let's say I do do what you did. 12. All right. No, that's, that's a fair. So let's say I I took your advice and I, I say, all right, LSU, you're out. Oklahoma, you're in. I hate to uh, do this. I hate to do this to you, Stu. Not the interrupting part. I don't like to do that either, but you know, this begs the question, like I would be fascinated to see who do people think is going to be ranked higher Oklahoma or USC because you know, I could see USC being ranked. I mean, I, I can't see U.S. Like, I think people w- went way overboard to say USC can be a playoff contender with the personnel they have in the defense. But I can definitely see them being, you know, Caleb I'm Williams. I am 20th. You think that's fair? I think that's fair because the quarterback should be really good. He knows the system. Travis Dye is a really good player. I don't know if Travis Dye will be, you know, better than he was last year at Oregon. He put up ridiculous numbers. But they're just so below is so, so suspect on defense yep they're gonna have to win a lot of shootouts and they also um, you know like they got caleb but like yeah they took some transfer receivers there's nobody even close to drake london i mean they had they were not good last year and they had the best receiver in college football i think that um travis die was a big big pickup 
Uh, yeah, name the last, you know, if you, I was like, who's the, who's the last like star USC running back. And I had to go all the way back to Ronald Jones. And that yeah, was that's what I, that's what I thought ago. you were going to say. That's not that long. I also felt bad that I didn't have room for more group of five. My only group of fives were Cincinnati, 22, Houston, 23. Um, what happened to coastal Carolina? Coastal Carolina you know has Grayson? Grayson McCall and lost true, literally everybody else. Like, they brought back everybody in 2021 and they're now finally losing all of them. Okay. It's easier for you to sit back and critique. You want to move um, Iowa and Oklahoma in who you're going to take out LSU. Who's the I'm other sorry. team? Taking I'm out? sorry. I got to go look at your thing. All right. So this is your, for people who haven't clicked on it yet. This is your bottom six LSU. I would not have them in there. Um, Wisconsin. I would have them in there. Houston, I would definitely have them in there. Cincinnati is tough because they lost a ton of guys. I do have a feeling they will not be a top 25 team this season, but it's hard to leave them out after they were just in the playoff. Minnesota's lost some good players on both lines, but I they brought back Kirk Shiraka. I think he was really good when he was there, and they have a loaded running back room, and I think Shiraka will be good for Tanner Morgan. Um, USC, I agree with Kentucky. I agree with wake. I could, I think wake should be higher than where you have them. Um, Oregon, I like where you have, I I like to have Arkansas up in the top 16, Oklahoma state. I don't know if I would have them that high, but you you drop them out, but you wouldn't drop them out entirely. I don't know. I mean, I was wrong 12 games the whole year. I know. Um, it sounds to me like, so it sounds to me like the team you would leave out is Cincinnati. Yeah, just because I think they lost so many guys and so many really key guys who've been there for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I that's fine. Um, I think that history tells us that, you know, by the end of the season, there will be more than two group of five teams in there. But sometimes it's hard to predict who that will be ahead of time. And of course, look, people are going to look back at this thing in, in December and laugh at some of the teams that I had ranked I mean, who knows? Like, you can't predict it now, but somebody that I have ranked fairly high is going to go five and seven, right? That's just college football. I'm like, I look up at number six and I see Texan. And by the way, they were, they didn't move. They were at six, both, you know, you didn't move them one way or the other with signing day. But I am so fascinated by Texas AM. Um, and, you know, how soon do they make a playoff run? whether they win a national title in the next three years or so. Well, save that thought because we have a great mailbag question that's going to incorporate that very thing. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Ben Gerber from Atlanta. Of all the coaches who have not yet won a national championship, do you think the first one will come from east of the Mississippi River? So Cristobal, Day, Brian Kelly, etc. Or west of the Mississippi River, Sark, Lincoln Riley, Brent Venables, etc. And he, yeah, I don't know. Ben, I am going to take the east of the east of the Mississippi guys. Um, you know why? Because Ryan Day is in that group, and I think Ryan Day. If you ask me, who was the? Because there's, as we've talked about before, there's not a lot of coaches who actually won national titles who are active now. Right. Um, and if you said, who do you, oh, I think will become the next Kirby smart to join the club. I will say Ryan day. I agree with you. Cause he's the closest now, but I'm going to now add a wrinkle. He said first who have not won a national championship. Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship, but he hasn't done it at A&M. So my question for you is who wins it first? Somebody 
that he just mentioned or Jimbo Fisher? I will take Ryan Day to win it before Jimbo Fisher won one. Okay. Um, the question. I think you're right. I think you're right, but I think that Jimbo is going to win one. He's either going to win one in the next few years or a and is going to give up trying because when you're signing classes like the one he signed this year, you're supposed to win a national title. Interesting factoid on that. Um, so at one point on signing day, I think I'd looked up and Harold Perkins who actually ended up, he was committed at one point there and ended up going to LSU, but that would have given them six of the top 19 ranked recruits, according to 247, which is a, obviously an obscene haul to have. And, uh, the producer I work with at the Pac-12 Network had tweeted at me and Yogi Roth and said, Jim Thornby had said, that's actually happened before USC did it like 14 years ago. And I was like, can that really be right? And I went back and looked it up. And sure enough, USC had six guys ranked among the top 19. And it better go better for the Aggies than it did for USC. Because now they, they did have finish in the top two the next two years, but then they went two, two, and then they finished number 20. And then the fourth year, when these guys would have been upperclassmen, they were unranked. And if you looked at that group, Everson Griffin's been a really good NFL player, but I think he was like a fourth round pick. Ronald Johnson was a like six round pick. Did not, And then you had a bunch of guys, Aaron Corp, who's now coaching, but didn't finish there. Mark Tyler, Chris Gallipo. So the point of that is um, you never know. I mean, usually your odds are better, but, I, I'm glad you said what you said because that you went out on the limb and said you do think Jimbo Fisher is going to win a national title at Texas A&M. I am not as convinced. So I I've been skeptical because I don't think he's you know outside of one season been all that great this to this point. But yeah, I just think the most amazing thing about stat about this year's class is that they signed 17 of the top 100 players in the country, so almost 20 percent of the top hundred players picked one school and that is Texas A&M. And as we know, Jimbo, very defensive about how they, how they got that top 10, uh, that number one class. So the reason I bring that up is if like me, you believe that they're already pretty talented there and probably would have won more games if they had a better quarterback last year. When you sign a highly rated class like this, you have to be a little temper expectations a little bit because realistically how many true freshmen come in and, and light it up right away? You know, maybe only a couple. Brock Bowers would be a great example this year. But when you sign that many top 100 players, I mean, if even five of those guys start living up to the hype right away, that's a big impact on your on your roster. The thing I'm curious about, and we're in obviously kind of uncharted waters with this now, is guys transfer way more now than they did before. Like, I'm curious, like how, and also there's tampering that seems to be more widespread than uh, not saying it didn't exist before. I just wonder how many of these guys will end up being there three years from now. And I'm not saying that's only an A&M thing. I think that's a bunch of places. I think that's, yeah. I mean, I think the answer is probably less than half. Uh, and that's not because anything A&M is going to do wrong. I just think that that's college football now. Now, knowing that Bruce, if you were Jimbo in 2022, would you try to go out of your way to get more of those guys on the field right away. So they would be less, um, cause forget three years. Like if I'm uh, the number 10 kid in the country and I don't play at all as a freshman, I might transfer next year. Right. 
Yeah, you would hope they were going to turn around and play right away. I mean, you know, there's there's guys with with ties. Like, look, you have like they got arguably the top tight end prospect in the country. Um, you know, Max Johnson's brother, who was who was actually committed to LSU. He goes now his brother, we think, is probably going to be the starting quarterback at A and M. So would his brother be inclined? Whether how, you know, because they they still have some really good tight ends there. But would would he be inclined to stay there longer because of the connection? I mean, who knows? I think there's just so much that goes into, how, you know, whether guys want to be somewhere long term or not. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this class does in the next two years to see if does it live up to the hype or not. Because what's a little different is, you know, this is this feels like, and granted, the rankings even higher for two four seven than. Um, than anyone Georgia or Alabama's had, but, and Jimbo's had good classes. This is a, this isn't sick ranked number six or number eight. Like, like Kirby smart was like one, two or three, almost every year. It feels like, you know, and I don't know if there's a huge gulf between, Oh, you have classes that are average to be number three versus average number six. You know, does that, you know, it varies, you know, who knows, but um, you know, I think we're going to look back and be fascinated to see, you know, was this the class that kicked AM into an unprecedented run, or was it the class that got a it was lot eight of and attention? five again? Yeah. 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 Well, well, we'll see. Um, all right, Stu, this question is from Michael in Finley, Ohio. And he starts out talking about uh Tom Brady. And this is Michael is 30 years old, a lifelong Buckeyes fan. And he makes an interesting, brings up an interesting point, and I'll cut to it here. Looking into Tom Brady's stats, and he noticed something interesting. In 1998, the week after losing to my Buckeyes, Brady and the Wolverines traveled to a winless Hawaii and blew the doors off UH. In my lifetime, I've never known of Ohio State or Michigan playing a regular season game after they played each other. Do either of you know the history be, behind this game and why it was scheduled or why it was played after the game? Thank you guys for all the amazing college football content. Thank you, Michael. Stu, do you have an answer? So I don't remember that specific game and I don't remember. I don't know the specific circumstances, but the thing is, the, I always like these questions that like allow me to remember something that used to be like a pretty regular occurrence in college football that doesn't happen anymore. What you have to remember is there was no Big Ten title game. In fact, most of the conferences didn't have conference championship games then. And so every year, every year, Hawaii would get to play a team like this at the end. You know, they would schedule Northwestern did it one year. Um, I remember Pac-12 teams doing it. They would get some pretty big name school to come down there and play what was essentially an early bowl game um, on that last weekend of the regular season. It might have even been. So Ohio State Michigan used to play before Thanksgiving, so it might not even have it been. Was the, pro- yeah, it was. No- it was November twenty eighth. They they won forty eight to seven. Yeah, so that was. I bet you the SEC championship was the week after that. Um. So yeah. So I don't know exactly why Hawaii decided. I mean, Michigan decided to take that trip, but that was not an unusual thing back then for a uh, power conference team to play. You know, finish their conference season and then go play Hawaii over Thanksgiving weekend. I've looked this back up and my goodness, Hawaii went 0-12 that year. And if you remember, Bruce, that caused them to fire their coach and bring in June Jones the next year. And I believe to this day, the single biggest turnaround from one year to the next was yeah. uh, June Jones, right? Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm glad you brought that up. Because, not the June part necessarily, but 
Um, so the next year, Hawaii in 1999, they played uh, they f- played Washington State, and it was the week after the Apple Cup. Um, so there's definitely that was a Hawaii thing. It's interesting yep. how that how that unfolded. Good good question, Michael. Thank you. You said well, actually Washington. Uh, oh, never mind. Yeah, Washington State. Yeah, Hawaii turned around from 0-12 to go 9-4 and the next year. And um, I don't think Timmy Chang was there quite yet, but he would be soon enough. And now, full circle, Timmy Chang is now Hawaii's head coach after the ouster of Todd Graham. Can I ask you another question? I'm going to tee sure. you up because this is, this is from James in Seoul, Korea. Stu being so confident Lane Kiffin could win a national title at Georgia was bizarre to me. He was the head coach at USC. I think he's a great X and O's offensive coach and he recruits well, but he's been a head coach since 2007, except for two years under Saban at Bama. And what's his biggest accomplishment? Okay, Stu, go, go to bat for your buddy. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, he's not the same coach he was at USC. He's a better coach. And and I think you'd have to be, you'd have to be pretty stubborn to be hung up on the USC era Lane Kiffin at this point. Cause what happened from there was, he went to the Nick Saban car wash, if you will. And um, I think the most significant part about that, that I didn't realize so much later, when Lane Kiffin was at USC, he was still pretty much running your traditional, you know, the West Coast offense that USC always ran. It wasn't until Saban hired him and told him, hey, go study what Hugh Freeze is doing, what Art Bryles is doing, and give me that. And ever since then, I think he's been really ahead of the curve. Uh, offensively. Um, he went to FAU and won two conference championships in three years. That program had done nothing before that. He goes to Ole Miss. They were pretty down in the dumps. And last year they uh, go 10 and two and go to a near six bowl. So I think he's a really good coach now, not without controversy, obviously. Um, and so I'm saying like he can recruit well to Ole Miss, but I think there's a reason he's, he's going so heavy on the portal as he knows he can't recruit Alabama talent uh, on the whole at Ole Miss. Um, but at Georgia, he could, I think you did. Uh, I, I agree with you. Lane Kiffin has evolved quite a bit. I think he deserves credit for that. So, um, I don't know if I, yeah. I, you think his USC way. tenure would have gone differently if they didn't have the sanctions, Like I he do. got the job and I then do. like six months later, the hammer came down. I do now. I, I don't know if he would have, it wasn't going to be a Pete Carroll run. I think that the sanctions cannot be like having been around there. Um, it's a, it was a huge deal. It was, you know, it was devastating. Now, some of the how it was handled, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff he could have done differently in, in, in regards to around the rest of the program. But but yeah, I, I don't think people can just shrug their shoulders as like it was like nothing because it was it was a real deal. All right. Just a couple of quick things before we wrap, Bruce. Remember last week, somebody asked you in the mailbag what you thought was a better chance of happening. Miami winning the coastal or finishing in the top 15 of the recruiting rankings when they were like. 36th um tom and delray beach and i didn't realize this miami did finish in the top 15 in recruiting does that mean they are guaranteed to be in charlotte come december guaranteed no but i think some of the things that have gone on in the last uh, couple of weeks i mean look they didn't get shamar stewart to stay home they did get trevante citizen to leave louisiana that was uh, a big pickup for them. He's a top 100 running back. He adds to a really dynamic running back room. Josh Gaddis has a lot of good pieces to work with there as he gets to UM. I think that what tells me what that tells me is there's not much gap between 15 and 35. 
because it's not like they went out and added 10 guys on signing day. They just added a few big names and jumped 20 spots. Yeah, I don't quite understand um, how like how those how the rankings, you know, formula necessarily is. Um, and look, I, I mean, we reference the especially the two, four, seven rankings all the time. We think those guys do a terrific job. I just I honestly didn't know how, like you said, it wasn't like they got, oh, wow, they got the number two, number four, and number nine ranked recruit. And so they jumped from the 30s to leapfrog a bunch of schools, you know. But as you said, when we did this last week, they didn't have a ton. Like this was a, a light on bodies class. You know, it was like, it was, you know, it was a high percentage of really well thought of recruits, but it wasn't like it was like they had 23 guys either. Right. All right, Stu, there is another question. And, um, we haven't talked about this in a while. So here we go. It's from Matt guys, somewhat new to the show three months or so. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us. So apologies if this is something you've addressed before, but what is the backstory of your theme music? I've never heard another podcast start with such a random upbeat, short <laughs> Toyota <laughs> intro. I chuckle each time I hear the vague lyrics that have nothing to do with football or anything, really. Is this an inside joke or some kind of, or is there some kind of backstory? I don't know. Okay. There is a backstory. Um, Longtime listeners will will know it, but for those of you who have come on anytime in the last three years or so, um, when Bruce and I transitioned this podcast from Fox Sports, um, you know, during that period in 2017, when we were no longer with the same employer, we, we had to, uh, we were kind of lone rangers of doing this on our own, you know, even, even once you joined the athletic Bruce, we didn't have a podcast division yet. So, um, so I commissioned the theme music and I tapped into my younger brother, uh, Jamie Mandel still in Cincinnati has been part of many great bands. And, uh, he has a band called Kevin and the octaves that specifically do a lot of like, um, how, how do you put like, kind of as he described it as generic, like generic, random, upbeat stuff. I basically told him, as you know, my favorite band is Weezer. I want you to do something that sounds like the first song on the green album. That's like a, you know, Hey, we're exactly, he caught the theme here perfectly. Something that says like, you know what? We're about to have a lot of fun here over the next hour. And uh, we stuck with it ever since. So um, I've noticed a lot of the athletic podcasts go with more of a hip hop uh, intro. You know, we've got the uh, alt, 90s alt rock uh intro intro still going here which is which is interesting because there is no music i i am less interested than that but i have total respect for Stu supporting his brother and so i'm on board with it even though um whenever i hear Stu like talk about weezer i couldn't roll my eyes any further out of my head (laughs) well if you're somebody who does does like weezer or that genre of music the band, again, is Kevin and the Octaves. That song is called Dangerous. Uh, so go to Spotify, Apple Music, wherever else you get music these days. I can't keep up with all the various streaming services because you can hear uh, you can hear some, some more of Kevin and the Octaves there. Um, who is Kevin, by the way? That, there is no Kevin. That's just the name of the band. And that's like one of three bands that he's in. And he has a ticket. His main job is he runs a a ticketing company for a lot of smaller music venues. So, um, but once upon a time, my cool brother toured toured Japan uh, with one of his uh, 
pop punk outfits that he was in at one point. So, um, yeah, he's a rock star. What would it take for our listeners, and many of them know this by now, that Stu Mandel was once a in a college, was it a garage band? What were we calling this group? Yeah, we were mid-90s pop punk. Alt-rock slash pop punk, whatever, you want, whatever we were calling. I think at that point, people just called it alternative. Green Day, sure Weezer, uh, sure Pearl Jam. Yes. Were there leather pants in your wardrobe back in the day? No leather pants. If you, there are a few pictures of me. In fact, my, um, so one of my social media pictures is this I'm wearing it is the, if you said like, describe a college frat guy in the nineties, this would be the exactly it flannel shirt, backward baseball, backward ratty baseball cap, um, jeans that were like two sizes too big that, 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 and I had a, in that picture, I'm wearing a rush t-shirt and, um, and I don't, <laughs> I actually went through a brief phase where I wore a gold chain. So, um, yeah, these days, however, Bruce, as you learned this weekend, I'm my only contribution to like the, the music world is a much, much, much different kind of music. Uh, have you ever broken a guitar in a performance? No, I can't afford to break again. <laughs> okay. The guys that break guitars is because they probably have a deal with some you know guitar company. that just gives them a new one every time. When this Northwestern band of yours was playing on the road, did you ever pull off to the side of the road and snort up a line of ants next to a popsicle stick? No, but let me tell you something. I don't drink now, but I did in college. And for whatever reason, I was the only one in the band who did drink. And we played a, a gig at a bar in Chicago near Loyola, actually. And like, I don't remember, maybe they paid us 50 bucks, uh, you know, something very minimal, but we got four free pitchers. And I was the only one in the band who drank. So it was a, it was oh a good night to be me, to be me I, and my friends. <laughs> I can't imagine you four, four pitchers into anything. So I'm surprised you're asking me all this stuff about 90s music. I'm surprised you're not asking me about my most recent um, attempt at uh, performance. OK, Stu, you're 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 begging for me to reach into one night. I stumbled upon you had a TikTok video that was because I it. it surprised me so much it was almost like uh, did i get wasted last night and imagine this <laughs> did i dream that yeah. yes i made my first foray into tiktok um with my daughter and uh you know if you're a girl dad out there you can appreciate this but she's very into uh encanto the disney movie are your kids into that no they will be don't believe me you're not going to escape this oh i will and I, and there's my... a very there's a very popular song from that called we don't talk about bruno that is actually i believe number one in the country right now and so if you go on tiktok it's all of these people doing um lip syncing uh videos of it so there's a there's a there's a it's a duet there's a it's a in the movie it's a husband and wife it's a duet and uh yeah we did a tiktok where she's doing the uh female part and I'm doing the, the male part and there's a little bit of um, acting on my part. So if you want to see it, um, my TikTok handle is Stuart Mandel. It's the only video on there, so it won't be very hard to find it. I have a feeling it will be the last one. Um, but yeah, it's just for fun. It's uh, nothing to do with football. And um, you know what? My daughter keeps asking me every day, how many likes do we have? How many likes do we have? And I think we have like four. So actually, if some of the listeners, if you've actually made it this deep into the podcast, if you could do me a favor, go on TikTok and like the video so I can 
so I can excite my daughter after school today. Be like, we have 17 likes now. You want to get a lot of likes too. You snort, you snort the, uh, the popsicle <laughs> stick full of ants. What a, what a, what a, where are you, where are you getting that visual from? Was that a certain movie or that something? That is, no, that is a behind the, behind the music. Like, I feel like that is one of the most memorable anecdotes I've ever heard from like one of those. And I think it was, and um, I guarantee you some of our audience will have know this story better, but I want to say it was like Ozzy Osbourne might've been touring with like some other, some uh 80s rock band and i think they were trying to see who could gross each other out worse and the bus pulled over and i guess it was like some really you know like dirt old road in somewhere and when they got out of the bus they saw a popsicle stick and near it was a trail of ants and he bent down and snorted up the ants dear lord I'm gonna see if that story is if that's exactly how uh it is i, I bet i could look oh it's up. totally believable for for you know that that genre of band um no there was not none of that in my very uh, <laughs> my band was very pg-13 to say the least i mean my gosh i just mentioned that three of them didn't drink when they were in college so um it doesn't get much more tame than that as always you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com We'll see you next time.